morning. It is my joy to welcome you as we begin to gather in as God's people this day. We are so thankful to be together on a wonderful day of worship, a wonderful day to be with each other, and a wonderful day for us to feel that connection of love, forgiveness, and grace from God who is always there for us. So welcome to our church service today, particularly if you are new to us, we are very glad to have you here with us. We have friendship pads, those are things we use to get to know each other by name. You can pass those down and put what information you would like. And there are also information brochures in the pew racks in front of you that also tell you a little bit more about us, uh, but we would hope to get to know you as well. So thank you for being here, and we look forward to a wonderful service together. Uh, this is the first service for Cora. Um, Logan and Claire are back there on the back row. If they go to the crying room, it's because Logan's got very emotionally attached to the service today. Uh, but baby Cora's back there, and as always, we welcome Cora, but give Cora some space. Uh, so thanks for uh, being here today, and look forward to her young life as she grows up before us. She's seven weeks, six weeks? Two months tomorrow. Two months tomorrow. Okay. All right, so she can be one of those testimonies. My parents brought me to church when I was two months old. Another thing that you have done to help children just recently was the uh, donation of books to Mary Todd Elementary School. And uh, I think there was 120 books thereabouts. Um, and we got thank yous from third graders uh, for that group and so, or for that donation and those books. So I'm going to read you some of the letters. Uh, trying not to do an imitation of Art Linkletter for those of you that remember those things. If you don't know, ask someone that has hair like mine. <laughs> Dear Central Baptist Church, thank you for giving us the books, and I will read the books this year. 120. This could be a future president. Be on the lookout. Dear Central Baptist Church, thanks for the books donation. Thanks and Diary of a Wimpy Kid and for the Kid. Just what's on the page here. Thanks. Dear Central Baptist Church, thank you for donating the books. Blessed you are. I read them every day. And I will read them and I'll think about you. Dear Central Baptist Church, I love you. Oh, gosh, I can't read that. Because you gave us about 50 books, and most are very good. <laughs> it's always the comedians that have the worst penmanship. Yeah, I think this was maybe the last one here. I'm missing one that said, thank you for publishing the books, what I thought was very interesting. <laughs> you all are part of the publishing process by disseminating the information. Finally, this one, and I thought this was also very touching. Dear Central Baptist Church, thank you for this fun books. Thanks. We will pray for you. <laughs> Thanks, God. Blessed you. Thanks for being nice. Now, this may not sound like a big thing, right? A pretty small thing overall, buying a book, bringing it here, 
And thank you, Pat Ingram and others that helped take those to Mary Todd and to give those to those students. But these books are touching lives. And these lives are loving you and thanking you and praying for you. That ought to make our hearts sing as we worship God this day. Please stand as you are able and join me in reading the call to worship. Ministry is the work of God, done by the people of God. Through baptism, all Christians are made part of the priesthood of all believers. We are the church, Christ's body, made visible in the world. We all share in Christ's ministry of love and service for the redemption of the human family and the whole of creation.
Let us pray. Loving, strengthening God, through your church you call us into positions of leadership and into caring for your people. Such a task can be filled with joy one moment and frustration the next. So today we pray that you will give us the strength and wisdom to care for one another physically, mentally, and spiritually, and to ensure that all among us are cared for. Amen. And now let us care for one another by passing the peace. Good morning. Today, if I'm not mistaken, is number three of three sermons from the prophet Jeremiah, where Pastor Mark will unravel mysteries of an Old Testament prophet. This particular passage from the 32nd chapter of Jeremiah was written as maybe one of the first passages in our tradition. Paul did it. Dr. King did it. It was written from jail. Jeremiah's in jail, and he's sending a word of hope. To Jerusalem. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the eighth year of Nebuchadnezzar, at the time the forces of Bab the Babylonian king were besieging Jerusalem, and the prophet Jeremiah was imprisoned in the court of the guardhouse attached to the royal palace. Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of your uncle Shalom, is coming to see you and will say, Buy my field at Anathon. You have the right of redemption as next of kin to buy it. I signed and sealed the deed and had it witnessed. Then I weighed out the money on the scales. I took my copies of the deed of purchase, both sealed and unsealed, and gave them back to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Masu. I looked this up. Messiah in the presence of Hanamel, my cousin, of the witnesses whose names were on the deed of purchase and of the Judeans sitting in the court of the guardhouse. For the word of God that works its way into us. Thanks, Thanks be to God.
Let's break in, please, shall we? Dear God, we don't have words that are adequate to thank you for the partners that you have given us in your service, that we know that we, when we feel alone and when we feel scared, that we only have to look to our left and to our right, in front of us and behind us, and to see those people who are sharing our time, our place, our vision, our hope, our struggles, our fears, and our concerns. Thank you for every person here. Thank you for the ministries that are going out from this congregation every day, every week. And thank you for giving us more power and more hope and more love to do more. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Early Sunday morning, as I am off to do when it's the weekend coming, I opened up an app like you often do on your phone that had the upcoming weather forecast. And on Thursday, I learned that Friday, the next day, there was an anticipation of the high of 93, which would break the record of 91 set in 1939. Saturday, which was yesterday, the high was predicted to be 94. I think it actually was a little bit higher than that, again, breaking the record from 1939. If you remember the heat streak of 39, you can share that with folks that didn't know who Art Linkletter was. Today, there's forecast a high of 94 that I think has been shifted to 95, just in time for the Hunger Walk, breaking the record set in 1953. Monday, the high is 94. Thursday, now again moved to 95, breaking the record from 1941. Tuesday of this week, breaking the record of 89 from 1952 with a high again of 95. Wednesday, another day predicted to have 95 degree temperatures, October the 2nd. Setting the, breaking the record set in 1953. The good news is the cooling trend starts on Thursday. The high for that day is only 89. 
And while I think it's somewhat difficult to believe in climate change based on local forecasts, these numbers have my attention. Do you remember the U.S. Senator who stood on the floor of the Senate with a snowball in his hand? He picked it up from outside Washington, D.C. just a few years ago and said, Mr. Speaker, how can we say there's global warming? Look, I have a snowball. And as a person I hope of some common sense, who also believes in the scientific method of those things that are observable, measurable, and verifiable, I look at other indicators of what's happening on our planet. Glacier melting and erosion, the disappearance of ice caps, global temps rising all over the world, breaking not just records here, but truly all over the planet. The extinction of species, first insects and now birds. These are critical times, aren't they? And scary times and uncertain times. So what would you think of me if sometime around August I had called people that I knew that had some power, lawyers, real estate agents, financial advisors, and I said to them, you know, I'm thinking about cashing in some of my retirement capital and, and I would like to purchase some property. And I think the Bahamas would be a great place for me to invest some of my money. In fact, those Abaca Islands really sound like a great place for me to start investing myself to the future in my retirement and, and really want to put some money into to that area as a place to, to invest. And again, staying with the story of Jeremiah, my attorney would say, well, Mark, you realize you do have the a rest brank, uh, ankle breaklet, uh, bracelet on your ankle, right? You're under house arrest. You got in trouble. You've been in a bad jail, and now you're under some less uh, kind of restrictive area, but still you're in trouble with the law. This is probably not a good time for you to be making any big financial decisions in your life. But I'm not going to listen to that. I want to put my money there, and I want to do everything by the book. I want to do it in a legal way. I want to buy some property in a place that is now forecast for a disaster. And when Hurricane Dorian came to the Bahamas, it was a Category 5. Wind speeds topping over 150 miles per hour. Some meteorologists believing that by the time it reached the island, the wind speeds had increased to 220 miles an hour, the force of a tornado, except this tornado was dozens of miles wide, sending a surge of a tidal wave 20 feet in the air for residents that had mostly plywood homes who were wiped clean out. Now if you can imagine the ridiculous legal and foolish plan to buy land where there was such a forecast 
of disaster, then you can begin to see this passage of Jeremiah 32. The time is 588, 589 BCE, some 580 years before the time of Jesus, when there was a geopolitical crisis going on. Babylon from the north was an invading army of other places in the south. They had already wiped out Syria, and now they were fighting Egypt. And between the Egyptian and the Babylonian forces, there was a raging war, and Israel in the north had already been squeezed out, and now Judah in the south was there, part of the territory by which these large international armies were fighting each other. And out in the periphery, outside of Jerusalem, Babylon and Egypt were hard at it. And Jeremiah had gotten in trouble, not because he had broken the Torah. No, he had tried to live faithfully to God's law about taking care of each other and to be concerned about the poor and the vulnerable in your community and telling folks in Judah, God's people, that part of the calamity that they are experiencing because, is because of the hardness of their hearts, because they've turned inward, not outward, that they've only been concerned about their own well-being, their own preservation, their own livelihood, and have forgotten the needs of the vulnerable that were around them, and now disaster was close at hand, in fact, on the doorstep. And because of that message... Jeremiah had been taken, put in a pit, and now with this puppet king named Zedekiah, he had been given a reprieve. And Zedekiah is like, why are you doing this, Jeremiah? Why are you... It's inevitable. Babylon's going to take over. Why do you resist? Why don't you just give up? Why don't you just admit? The forces are too big and too large, and... There's nothing you can do to stand against the inevitability of what's going to occur. And out of Jeremiah's ministry, while captive, with this forecast that came true just a year later in 587, when indeed the city of Jerusalem was laid low, just like plywood homes in Abaca, he decides to buy a piece of property to follow the rules to have witnesses, to put deeds down in books that may eventually be destroyed or burned, to look toward the future and to buy a piece of land. Why would Jeremiah do such a thing? Isn't he one of those very negative, pessimistic kinds of prophets, always telling everybody how bad everything is? Well, not only does Jeremiah believe that there will be times where things will be a disaster, there are also times when the Lord who plucked out will also build up. And that God has a plan that cannot always be discerned by vulnerable, weak, and short-sighted humans. The Apostle Paul would say it this way to those Christians in Corinth in the first few years of the Christian movement. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning and the discernment of the discerning. 
I will thwart. God gives us a second chance. That we give up. But God never gives up. That the witness of people of hope has always been to allow this possibility that still can happen even when it looks like all things are lost. That God sees opportunities where all we see are failures. That God is able to bring something good out of something that is judged as bad. That God is here to rescue the lost, to restore whole communities, to bring life even from death. That people of faith from Jeremiah to Paul to any of the other great individuals who have had to deal with it, the, the appearance of just disaster at their doorstep have held on with hope. And Jeremiah is a person who is giving God's people hope, hope that all is not lost, hope that there's still something that we can do and must do, and that God is still working, even when it looks like we are already at the end and we can't see past tomorrow. Do we believe that? Do we resonate with that? Do we lean into that? I can tell you one thing you're doing today that declares quite loudly that you do believe in a God of hope for a better tomorrow. It's this thing we're doing this morning in the ordination of deacons, in the preparation of the future, of you coming to this place to bear your soul to offer your prayers, to lift up one another. It's what you are doing to plant a tree when you may not be able to live under the shade of that tree. Why do we do those kinds of things? Because it is right and good for us to do so. It's good to restrict all of our consumption. It's good to start a a, a bee farm in our backyard. It's good to dig a hole and put a tree in the ground because we remember Jeremiah who was willing to buy a piece of real estate that was going to be bloodied in battle and lost for a generation because we don't know what God might do next. And so we ordain Bless, empower, encourage those who might serve this church and the future and our community as we seek to be God's people. And in that act of hope and faith, I have three directions that I hope are in the background and the foundation of what I speak about and uh, preach about and how I minister. Three goals. Three directions for us as Central Baptist Church to also lean into and hope. The first is that we would seek with all of our being to cultivate compassion and to nurture empathy in our own lives. In our society. 
which is so consumeristic based and so dominated by acquisition. We still live with the mantra from that old burger commercial from Burger King, have it your way. And if you live with every pulse of your being with the belief that everything is about you needing everything your particular way, then what loses out is your inability to have empathy and compassion for someone else. What is it like? Do we even know? For someone to be a first-generation American, whether citizen or non-citizen, what must it be like to have fled your homeland and to have been on the run for perhaps decades to now be in this country trying to make a new start in a very pressurized and economically prosperous community and how hard it is just to get started and how expensive everything is and how it's just difficult to get going to have a home, a shelter, food, and to inherit the American dream. What must that be like? Do we have any understanding of that? What must it be like to be a young person shackled with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in student debt, trying to look toward the future with hope and to recognize that their life is going to unfold with greater economic pressures and dynamics what is that like? Do any of us have an idea of what it might be to be in your 20s and try to start your life and launch your future already tied down and shackled? What must it be like? What must it be like to have been in this country for generations as long as anyone else, most except Native Americans, and only because of the color of your skin you live with the stigma of racism every single day. You sometimes are called names or told you don't belong or go back to your own country. What country are you talking about? What must it be like? What must it be like to be a person who grows up understanding their sexual identity to be different only to have the place that embraced them and blessed them as a child as they now hear from them as a teenager and as a young adult realize, no, we no longer are blessing you. We must condemn you and banish you and excommunicate you simply for being who you are. What must it be like? I am so thankful of this church because you are willing to listen and seek to understand and to recognize the second goal of mine and that is to create a community of faith that is authentic, that is healthy, that is nurturing, that we care for each other, that we provide the space to listen to each other. We seek to hear one another's stories and we seek to live into this health of a community of others that are not all alike, but who love each other with the same kind of desire of fairness and equality. 
It's a beautiful thing. There's a lot of ministers that I know, a lot of preachers, that tell me their least favorite hour of the month is going to their deacons meeting. Some of you have been in those meetings, perhaps, and other churches, of course. It's one of the most rewarding, nurturing, fun, enlivening meetings that this church holds on a regular basis because it is there that we seek to understand and to cooperate. How can we help? What does this church need? How can we be a part of helping this place be a healthy community? And out of that nucleus of that health, it grows into the health that we experience here in the pew and the Sunday by Sunday meetings that we participate in. And our hope eventually is that that nucleus then begins to grow to our community and to others that they may see this image of Christians who are loving, compassionate, who are service oriented, who are willing to give up a little bit of what they have in order to help someone else and to be a part of a community that engenders this health, this goodness, this image of the kingdom of God. And then finally, what we are all about all the time, and that is developing and nurturing the spiritual source to be connected to God. This God who is, in God's own essence, a relationship of love, who invites us to be a part of that relationship through our confession of Christ as Lord, through our empowerment of the Spirit, seeking to do what Christ might do in our community, we are all becoming renewed and transformed in the image of Christ. That's the kind of work we're here to do today. To call those from our fellowship to serve this church for a season as deacons, to be leaders that are servants first, to be those who will care for the needs of this congregation. That as Baptists, we recognize that all Christians are ministers, that we are all part of the priesthood of all believers, but there are times in our organizational life when there is a discernment of special gifts of service, whether that's professional ministry or those who are serving in lay ministry as deacons. And we highlight that discernment through prayer, through worship, through empowerment, to say we are blessing those who will now step forward and help us live out this great calling, this calling of faith, this calling of hope. And so we are now transitioning, transitioning to a time when you will be invited to come forward and to offer your prayers to Jamie Wallace and Dara Feltz, who will be ordained as deacons of this community. But before I ask Christy Gabbard to come forward and lead you in your prayer together, and before we have the ordination service, I want to recognize first those who are currently serving as deacons. Would you stand and stay standing? Just stay standing. Come on. You're around the room. Thank you. Look around. These are your current deacons. Now, if you have served this church in the past as a deacon, would you stand? Now, if you stay standing, if you have been ordained 
for ministry in any way whatsoever, in any tradition, would you stand? Got a few that way, didn't we? Now, if you have been ordained in another church to serve as a leader, would you stand? Okay, you can sit down now. Did you notice how many people stood up? In many different capacities, and there's other people that are absent that also could have stood with this group that had experienced the blessing of having a whole congregation pray for you and empower you for ministry. But now, well, I'm not going to do that because that may embarrass somebody. I would say, if you've been baptized, you also should stand. And then in your imagination, as baptism is a form of ordination for us, Join with those that have already stood forward. I will tell you what you are seeing. You are seeing the people of God. And the hope of the world. Christy, would you come now and lead us as we read together? I just want to add what joy it gives me to participate in these services of ordination. So if you would join me in the preparation for ordination, we'll uh, read that together as we begin the ordination. God of light and truth, you led your holy apostles to appoint ministers in every place. Guide your church through the wisdom of your Holy Spirit that we may choose women and men with gifts of grace for the ministry of word and service. May we uphold them in their work, and may your reign be extended through Jesus Christ, the shepherd of our souls, who with you and the Holy Spirit is worshiped and glorified, one God, forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to ask Darren and Jamie now to come sit on either side of, of me. And then to invite all of you to come forward. You do not need to be a member of this church to offer prayer and blessing, but we will ask you to move to this side as you line up in single file as you come across the front, and then you are welcome to place your hands on shoulders or head or simply to stand before. You may pray audibly. You may pray silently as you come before each of these individuals to offer your blessing and your support. And we now will enter into this beautiful and wonderful time where we thank God for both of you. We thank you for responding positively to the call of this church to serve as deacon. And as we now seek to empower and bless you with our prayers as you begin this important journey together. Let us pray. O oh God of goodness and grace and love, may your spirit fall upon Dara and Jamie and upon all of us as we offer now our prayers of encouragement, blessing, and support, as they serve our church as deacons, as we remember the important work that is yet to do here and around the world, and as we help this work, as we give to this work, as we are willing to serve this work that is a work of goodness and grace and compassion and hope. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Please come forward now for the blessings of your prayers.
you join me now in our prayer of blessing for these two and for our church? We thank you, gracious God, for raising up among us faithful servants for the ministry of deacons. Clothe them with your righteousness and grant that we with them may glorify you by giving ourselves to others. Amen. Darren, Jamie, I'll ask you to stand up. I have for you, in addition to these prayers, a official certificate of ordination. Uh, we spared no expense, but we want you to buy the frame of your choosing. <laughs> and there's your ordination, and there's yours, Jamie. God bless you, and we love you, and thank you for serving our congregation. You may be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> well, since we're talking about um, Art Link Letter and other things, I remember, and some of you have sat through ordination services that were uh, a parade of men for men, where you had men who were ordained and other men that uh, were the ones doing the ordaining with a very mistaken Baptist ecclesiology that somehow it was one powerful group of elitists giving power to another group of elitists. And I am so thankful to be a part of this time where Baptists began to realize that this is a blessing of the whole people of God. And while I know at times it gets long to sit in silence in public, we just don't do that a whole lot. We don't have opportunity to do that a whole lot. But I am always so encouraged of heart and uplifted when I see this parade of folks that come forward to offer their prayers. For indeed, this is the whole people of God lifting up others into the service of God. And so you have witnessed a beautiful and a holy manifestation of what it means to be the church. And now I invite you to be a part of the church, whether you wish to be a member or whether you wish to be baptized in the name of Christ to make a public definition of that. But for all of us now to sing as we lift up our faith to God. Hymn 69, I the Lord, a sea and sky.
may be seated just for a few moments as we conclude our service after the choir sings the benediction. I hope that if you're able to stick around and share more personal words with Dara and with Jamie and others, we'll be all in the foyer right there. So you're welcome to hang here a little bit and just to enjoy this time of goodness and grace. In the life of our church, uh, just a few things for you to be aware of. Uh, next week, we look forward to Dr. Um, Dennis Johnson, Reverend Dr. Dennis Johnson, right here in the blue jacket, uh, retired pastor who has done great work on Walter Rauschenbusch. He'll be sharing some of that as well as talking about the new book that he has uh, worked on and actually has published uh, with the Mary Todd students, I think, uh, publishing books. Uh, but we look forward to that, uh, Dennis, and look forward to your time with us. I'm glad to have Dennis and Holly to be a part of our congregation. Also next week, uh, Charles Conkin returns back from paternity leave, so we look forward to seeing him again. Uh, Aaron has been out this week uh, with a birthday celebration weekend with his family, and uh, that's been great as well. So we hope you'll be a part of our service next week and uh, part of all the good things coming up in October. This afternoon, there is still space for you uh, to walk with the crop walk at 3 o'clock at 2nd. Presbyterian Church on Main Street. I've already told you it's going to be beautiful weather. It's a dry heat. It's not really a hot heat. Uh, but if you want to come and be a part of that, uh, we're gathering at three for a quick walk and a remembrance of those in our community uh, who are particularly uh, food um, deprived. And so uh, think about those folks, whether you're with us or whether uh, you are praying for them silently. What a wonderful day to be together in the house of the Lord. The choir now will lead us in the benediction. Mm -hmm. 